If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, We finished up our Esther series, and so we have uh, the opportunity for the next few weeks to do a few single sermons. And so this morning, I want to direct your attention to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And uh, the whole idea behind today's message, what I would love for you to leave with the idea, with the big idea, is that uh, life change happens most effectively when you are seriously studying God's Word in a relationship with Him. Life change happens most effectively, most dramatically, uh, most definitely happens when you become a serious student of God's Word while you're in a a relationship with God. And so let's read together Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes to the Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in this passage, we see that it's God's will for you to daily, willingly yield yourself to present yourself to God, just to, to wake up and to, as if you were laying on an altar, to say, I'm yours today. This is, this is my life. I lay my will before you. I lay my heart before you. I lay my emotions, my mind. I lay my activities. Everything about me today, I lay it before you, and I ask you to have your way in it. Uh, and as that happens, as you walk with God in that way, uh, something takes place in your mind as you begin to Think deeply about Scripture as you begin to meditate and memorize and walk with God in His Word. Deep transformation takes place on a heart level. You see, this is different than behavior modification. Right? You can sort of impose your will on somebody and ask them to do something. Uh, maybe you ask your kids to clean their room, or maybe you ask your spouse to do something, or maybe somebody is asking you to do something and you don't want to do it, or they don't want to do it, and so... Using sort of outward techniques, you can modify behavior. This is not at all the transformation that takes place when a person has a deep relationship with God. Uh, We use a a Bible study method, a discipleship tool called the Big Five. If, If you've been through the Big Five, just raise your hand. The Big Five is a discipleship tool that we use. And the idea behind the Big Five is that if you were to lead somebody to faith in Christ today... They were to give their life to Christ, maybe at your business place, or maybe a neighbor, or a co-worker or something, and you present the gospel to them, what would you impress upon them? What would be the first thing that you would tell them? And let's just say that you lead this person to faith in Christ, and you're not going to see them ever again. Maybe it's going to be, you've got a few hours to spend with them. What would you do to ground them in their relationship with Christ? What would you do? What would you impress upon them and how to walk with God for a lifetime? The Big Five is meant to answer that question. It's meant to say, what would I do if I led somebody to faith in Christ and had uh, just a little bit of time to spend with them? How would I help them grow for a lifetime? And so we stress these five concepts. That's why it's called the Big Five. And the first one I preached about on the first Sunday in January. Do you remember what we 
preached about the first Sunday in January. Sometimes I forget what I preached on last week. So if you struggle to remember, it's been a long time, but uh, let me see if this helps you. Jeff? Yeah, that's the first concept in the Big Five, is how to have an intimate relationship with God. And so we looked at Jeremiah 9, and he said, uh, don't boast in your wealth, don't boast in your uh, riches, don't boast in your intellect, but if if you're going to boast about something, boast in the fact that you have an intimate relationship with God. We talked about Moses from Exodus 33 and how he said, Lord, you can do anything, whatever you do, don't leave us and only let me know you intimately. We talked about Paul from Philippians 3.10 and how his, his desire was to know Christ intimately. And our main anchor passage for that Sunday was John 17.3. And Jesus defines eternal life this way. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know you. And it's all pointing to an experiential relationship with God. Not a statistics-based relationship with God where you know facts and ideas, but that you have an intimate relationship with God by faith through Jesus Christ. That is the first concept that we would stress with someone. Uh, And so I invite you to go back and to listen to that sermon if you desire to have a deeper fellowship with God. So the second concept that I would impress upon a brand new believer is what do they do um, in their relationship with the Bible? How are they supposed to interact with the Bible? And so that's what we want to talk about today. But just to not leave you hanging, the third concept is prayer, how to have a growing prayer life. The fourth concept is uh, the gospel. How do you understand what Jesus Christ accomplished for you on the cross and how everything surrounding your spiritual life and your relationship with God will all be uh, centered on the gospel message for the rest of your life. You'll never move past the gospel. It is that critical. It's the linchpin. And so understanding how the gospel affects everything in your life is that fourth concept. The fifth one is sanctification. How do you grow? How do you change? What, what does your church life look like? And it's, it's a lot to unpack. But my goal is by the time uh, this first quarter is over to have um, preached through the big five And so this is the second sermon in that series. So what would we do with a brand new believer? Um, We would want them to be grounded in the Bible. If you want to experience deep transformation, deep transformation that starts way deep inside and works its way out so that over a period of time, um, your diet, your healthy diet of Scripture changes you from the inside out, deep lasting change, deep transformation. How many of you would like to experience change? Maybe you're unhappy with your life. Maybe you're unhappy with your attitude. Maybe you're unhappy with the decisions that you make. Maybe you are struggling with temptation. Maybe you are struggling under difficult circumstances. Listen, the Bible has the ability, through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within believers, to give you the transformation that you desire. Because, listen, God's desire is to transform you. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that he is changing us from one degree of glory to the next. By one degree, he changes us day by day. And that process of transformation is exponentially um, multiplied when we are grounded in the Word of God. And So I want us to, to consider what it is about the Bible 
that, uh, that is so transforming in our life. So let's just start with some, some real basic Bible stats. And so if you're uh, taking notes, um, this is just some general ideas about the Bible. We'll start really general. So if you're a new um, person to the Bible, if, if you're not familiar with it, um, let's just kind of break down some basics about it. We know that the Bible is not just one book, is it? It's really a, a, a library of books. How many books are in the Bible? 66 books in the Bible. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. I heard it back there. 39 books in the Old Testament. And if you can do math quickly, how many books are in the New Testament? 27, right? 27 books in the New Testament and 39 books in the Old Testament. Now let's just consider the Old Testament for just a minute. It... uh, was written beginning in 1500, roughly, with the life of Moses, right? Who, who began to write uh, the Bible? It was written around the period of 1500 when Moses began to write the Pentateuch, right? The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. You guys are on target. You're, I'm hearing these answers, so that's fantastic. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it covers a span of time from about 6,000 to maybe 10,000 uh, years from creation up until the time of Jesus Christ. That's the Old Testament. You'll hear this a lot of times. People will say, why is the God of the Old Testament so different than the God of the New Testament? Well, the reason is uh, the Bible of the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, it's covering a period of time from six to 10,000 years. The New Testament covers a sliver of time of roughly 90 years. And so the focus of the New Testament is, is really laser sharp while the focus of the Old Testament is like these bright lights, they kind of diffuse a a lot of light in a a broad period. The Old Testament covers a lot of ground. Is that helpful? So we have 66 books total. It's a compilation of books. Um, It's uh, written over a period of 1,500 years, uh, I guess now uh, 3,500 years, considering where we are. So for over this period of time, it was written um, on three different continents, right? Can you name the three continents it was written on? Asia, Africa, and Europe, right? The Bible was written in three continents. It was written in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Man, you guys are on fire. Just give yourself a pat on the back. You are getting all these answers right. Um, The canon is what we call the closing of the books that were selected to be in the Bible. And many people are misunderstood standing how the Bible came to be developed. By about 300 years before Jesus came, the Old Testament books of the Bible were completely closed. That is, all of the Jewish scholars and rabbis and religious groups had a group of texts called a canon, and those group of texts were considered authoritative, the Word of God. As Hebrew says, they were um, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. These were the scriptures that Jesus himself would have read and memorized many of them and quoted were those 39 books of the Old Testament. In Hebrew, it's 22 books. Um, So that canon of the Old Testament was closed about 300 years before Jesus. The New Testament canon, the 27 books of the New Testament, 
um, those were considered authoritative by the churches and by pastors and church leaders as early as 170. They began saying these books are authentic. They were either written by apostles or they were written by those who were closely associated with the apostles. But we can see that these are authentically uh, the inspired word of God. You know, as early as uh, 60, the year 60 AD, so just to 30 years after Jesus died, Paul was quoting Luke in 1 Timothy saying, the scripture says, and he quoted a passage that Luke wrote, where Luke quotes Jesus saying uh, that the muzzle don't uh, muzzle an ox while he's treading the grain. So we see that as, as early as 60, people, uh, Peter quotes Paul and calls it scripture. And so scripture was set in stone, uh, so to speak, um, long before it was officially canonized around 300 to 400 through several um, synods. Now, I don't want you to fall asleep, but I wanted you to get a basic understanding of how our Bible is put together, because it's, the, it's a cause of doubt for many people if they don't understand factually how it all came together. And I can go on and on and on, but this is not a hermeneutics class or a Bible class necessarily, but I want you to have those basic understandings of how uh, the Bible was put together. But more importantly, knowing the stats, knowing about how it came to be, knowing about what it is, the, the, the languages, the continents, the writers, all those things, knowing all that is nowhere near the same as having uh, a, a, a serious time of study in the Word of God. And so we don't want to know it. Um, we, we teach a new believer that if they want to have a really good grasp on the Bible, that if they want to experience life change, that there are six disciplines to master. And I'm just going to show you this really quickly uh, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's it's important. Uh, There are six disciplines that if you really want to be transformed, that you should apply these six disciplines to your relationship with the Bible. The first one is that you should hear the Bible. We come here once a week and we hear the Bible. I'm intentional in that I actually read the text. We read every single word in the book of Esther if you were here. So we want you to be able to hear the actual words of God. So when you hear the word of God, you have a a decent grasp on it, but not a very good grasp. If I want to grasp it, uh, it's, it's like trying to balance a Bible on one finger. I don't have a good grasp on it if I just hear it once a week, right? But let's say I, I hear it, and then uh, as I'm hearing it, I'm taking notes. I know there's several people in the room who take diligent notes. They, they hear it. And the reason why they do that is what you write down, um, re- you retain much better. I've heard from several of you that you'll go back and you'll look at the notes, and you'll think about them deeply, and you'll meditate on them. And so if you're just hearing the Word of God, and you simply add the discipline of meditation, you have a much better grasp on the Word of God. But in addition to hearing it and meditating on Scripture, um, you're encouraged to read it, to read it on your own, to experience a daily time and reading the Word. And so when you do that and you add meditation, you have a much better grasp. And so when the trials of life come, you know, it doesn't, your life doesn't fall over, but you have a deep grasp on it. But not a great grasp, but a pretty good one. So if you add to it um, hearing, reading, and meditating, you can also add to it memorizing I know some of you memorize big chunks of Scripture. Um, one of the most 
uh, amazing, inspirational guys I was ever around. When I was a brand new believer, um, we used to walk up to this man named Charles. He was a large African-American man. And the game that we would play with him is ask him, flip your Bible open and ask him, uh, start a sentence, and he would complete it to the paragraph or to the end of the chapter. And it didn't matter where you started. He would just look up and he would look kind of to the left and he would just start reciting scripture and verse and chapter. And then he would always end by saying, I don't have a great memory. I just work really hard at scripture memory. And so uh, many of us were inspired to take three by five cards and to write down as many verses as we could and to systematically go back through it. And I still have stacks of thousands of uh, verse cards, passage cards that we memorized. If you want to have a good grasp on scripture, hear it and meditate. Read it and meditate. Memorize it and meditate on it. The fourth discipline is to study it. To study it. And then the fifth, uh, the sixth discipline is to apply what you hear. Now listen, if you look at the palm of your hand and you're hearing Scripture and meditating on it, if you're hearing, reading, and meditating, if you're hearing, reading, and memorizing, and studying, and applying, if you do that, you have a firm grasp on God's Word, and this is what has the ability through the Holy Spirit to um, help you be transformed by the... What does our passage say? What transforms us? By the renewing of our mind. Scripture has a way of... Like a sponge, if you um, were to throw that sponge into water and you do those six disciplines, um, that sponge will be saturated in that bucket of water so that when you lift it out, just... Water will ooze from that sponge, right? And in many ways, when, when you fill your mind in a disciplined way with God's Word, you experience that transformation. Whenever life squeezes you, what comes out? It's the Word. It's the good stuff you put in that the Holy Spirit has uh, available to your mind to transform you. And so I want to encourage you um, to make those six disciplines a part of your life this year. If you've never been serious about scripture memory, if you've never been serious about hearing the word on a disciplined, in a disciplined way, many of your smartphones will read the Bible to you. Right? If, you if you're just, some guys I know, one guy in this room will just play scripture as he goes to sleep. And just hours of scripture as he's sleeping, just sort of into, entering into his mind. But this morning, I want, to, I want to sort of dive really close down to uh, one aspect, one discipline. And, and in that one discipline, I want to encourage you in ways that you can study the Bible. Ways that you can study the Bible. There are many types of study. You can do a book study. This is how we do book studies in our church. We, we preach expositionally um, through a book of the Bible at a time. So that at the end of that time, if you're here every week, that you have a good grasp on that book. Uh, you can do a book study in your private study. You can do a character study where you take maybe a favorite person of the Bible and you read every text that's associated with that person and you do a character study. You can do a doctrinal study. Maybe you want to know why does the Bible talk about faith um, and not works-based salvation. And so you would do a, a doctrinal study that traces the idea of salvation by grace through faith and not by works. Maybe you want to do a word study. Maybe you're infatuated with this idea of the love of God, and so you want to take an idea and this word, the love of God, and you want to follow it throughout all of Scripture. You can do it that way. You can do a theme study. 
But I want to impress upon you one kind of study that is just so basic and foundational that you should do it every time you open your Bible. And it's called an inductive Bible study. Now, I have uh, 50 handouts right up here on the front row. And so if you are interested in how to do a daily inductive Bible study, um, I'm going to pass those out afterward. I don't want you to get bogged down in it now. So I just want you to relax a little bit, listen to how to do an inductive Bible study. In just a minute, we're going to do a passage together. And so in this kind of lab format, I really, I'm serious, I want you to experience life change. And so I want you to experience it so much that I want to show you how to do this inductive type Bible study so that you can take it out of here. When I very first became a believer, uh, you've heard my testimony many times, I'm sure, but right after I became a believer, within two or three weeks, I was telling a young life leader um, about my decision that I made to, to trust in Christ. I told him how it happened. And uh, he said, Gibson, I want you to meet with me um, next Wednesday morning. And so he picked me up and we went to an office and my best friend, Jay Windorf and another guy named R.O. Smith, we got together as a 16, 17 year old kids in this guy's office. And he began to show us how to do an inductive Bible study, how to come to the text and how to ask questions and make observations and dig in context before the passage and dig in the context after. And, and he just walked us through this process so that every time that I opened the Bible, it became a habit for me to think deeply and read deeply the Bible and experience this sort of life transformation. And so if you're still with me, <laughs> I want to impress upon you how to do an inductive Bible study. An inductive Bible study is an approach to God's Word focusing on three basic steps. All right, the first step is observation. What does the text say? Not what do I think it says, um, not what do I feel like it should say, but what does it actually say? What does it say? That's the first step is observation. The second step is interpretation. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean? What is it saying? We're analyzing the, the content here and we're asking what does it mean? And then the third step is application. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about it? What is this scripture saying? And, and what's it going to do? Well, how do I put this into practice? Right? Jesus said that a person who hears the word and doesn't do it is like a person who built his house on what? On sand. And when the wind came and the waves crashed and the trials of life came, the house fell apart. But the person who hears the Bible and puts it into practice is like a wise man who built his house on what? On solid rock, right? And he built it on rock because he put it into practice. And so if you're just hearing the Bible and then as soon as you hear it or read it, you're not putting it into practice at all. You are like a, a person who when the, the winds and the waves and the trials of life come, your life just falls apart. And we don't want to be that way. We want to study it so that our life uh, is transformed. So inductive Bible study on a daily basis, day in, day out, helps you get the most out of Scripture by looking deeply into each passage rather than simply reading through quickly. How many of you have started a Bible reading calendar, maybe for the new year? 
Uh, yeah, it's a very common thing to try to read through the Bible in a year. And so what we do is we, we get a calendar and, and um, you know, January, Genesis 1, Matthew 1, maybe a Psalm and a Proverb, and we'll kind of plow through that. And if you're, if you're doing that by now, you're probably in Exodus or maybe finishing up the book of Genesis. And, and the tough road ahead for you is Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I'm not trying to rain on your goals for the new year, but man, it gets hard once you get to a specific place. But years ago, I stopped doing daily Bible reading plans every year. That may sound weird. Why would you stop reading the Bible? I stopped reading it through every year, and I started reading a verse or two a day and doing an inductive Bible study on it. I went really deep on a short chunk of Scripture rather than reading chapters. Now, in another year, I did a daily Bible reading plan called Professor Grant Horner's Bible Reading Challenge. How many of you have heard of that? It's uh, like P90X for Scripture. It's 10 chapters a day, right? It's 10 chapters a day every day, and you have a bookmark. You have 10 bookmarks, and you put it in 10 different places in your Bible, and you cycle through 10 chapters a day, and by doing that, you read the Bible through almost three times in a year. Uh, but I tried that for three years in a row, and, and you, I just got through large chunks of Scripture, Now I'm at a place where I'll just read a paragraph or two and I'll practice different Bible study methods and I'll alternate. If you feel like your spiritual life is stagnant, if your relationship with the Bible is stagnant, if you're, if you're just reading and you're, you're rereading, right? I just read a paragraph. What does it say? I don't know. I'll reread it. And you read it again. And then by the end of it, you say, well, what did I just read? I don't know. And you, you, find, you finally give up. Is that, is that anybody else in the room? Do you find, kind of struggle when you read a chapter and you go back and say, what did I just read? I have no idea. My mind is in a hundred places. If you find yourself in that place, this might be a way for you to break out of that rut. And so let's try it together. Flip your Bible uh, open to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to take a very, um, a very common passage of Scripture. I, just, I chose it this morning, not at random, but, um, but as I prayed through what we should do it on, uh, I felt like the Lord impressed me to, to do it on these three verses. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, and we're just going to walk through an inductive style Bible study together. So first of all, let's read the text. It says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? Three verses. And so the first step in the inductive Bible study process is to generate observations of just this text alone. Just these three verses. And we're going to generate observations and we're going to ask questions. And we were challenged by uh, my Young Life leader, Pete Johnson, with me and Wendorf and RO. We were in that little room and we were challenged to come back the next week with 100 observations or 100 questions on those few verses. Not this passage, but a different one. I'll never forget it. It was the passage where Jesus um, walks in and heals Peter's mother-in-law who's suffering from a fever. And we, we spent so much time on those, those one or two verses that it's just ingrained in my mind 
how to do this. And so uh, we're going to do that this morning with this. So let's just together ask a few questions and make a few observations. And we just start right at the beginning. It says, come to me. So let's ask a question. Who's speaking? That's the right answer almost all the time, right? You're in church, you're in Sunday school, somebody asks a question, the answer is usually Jesus, right? So Jesus is speaking, and Jesus is saying, come to me. Now why come to me is a question I have. Why, why not come with me, or come around me, or uh, why, why is this invitation that he extends to come to me? What is it about um, his presence that he's inviting us to? And what kind of invitation is this? These are the kind of questions that we start to ask with just the simple... So we've, we've read three words, and we've already come up with seven or eight questions. What's a question that you would have or an observation that you would make about this phrase, come to me? Okay, good question. What is, is, he, is this a salvation issue? And so we're going to write that down, and we're going to make a note of it. And in, in the second step, we go to the context before... And the context after that verse, and we are going to look for the answers to as many of the questions and observations that we generated. Good, Dave. What's another question about this invitation? All right, it's an action-oriented question. This isn't stay where you are and come to me. Jesus is literally talking to people, and he's literally saying, "Come here." Right? How many of you mothers ask your child to come here? And you really mean come here, right? And you meant it the first time you said it, and you meant it every time, and, and right? Jesus is saying an action-oriented invitation. Good, Dave. What's another observation about this? Where is he? All right, where is he? Is he far away? Is he on a mountainside? Is he, is he in a valley? Is he in a grassy area? Is he by the, the Sea of Galilee? This, these are all the questions that we want to ask. You see how just one little phrase can generate... So many different ideas. And as you think deeply, you could ask another 20 or 30 questions about that phrase, come to me. But we can go on. All who labor and are heavy laden. What does he mean by that? What does it mean to be heavy laden? Some translations uh, say if you're burdened. Well, do you have a burden? Jesus is inviting somebody who is, has a burden that they're under distress, that they're struggling. His invitation, His remedy is, come to me if you're struggling, if you're weary, if you're tired. And He says, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. What kind of rest? Is He going to give you a nap? Is, he gonna, is, is this a picture of Him with all these people around Him just sort of taking a nap? Is that what He's talking about? Well, we're going to ask these questions as we go through. Then He says, take my yoke upon you. Now what's a yoke? Are you sure it's not an egg yolk? It's not an egg yolk, right? Because that's Y-O-L-K. But this is a yoke. Grayson, you're exactly right. A yoke is if you wanted to plow a field, uh, you would get your two oxen or whatever, and you would stick this wooden frame around their neck, and this would yoke them. It would, it would, it was what linked them together to get them pulling in the right direction. And it was heavy. It was a, because it had to fit over the necks of these big animals. And so it was big, it was heavy. And, and if you've ever seen, uh, maybe in Lancaster or in Amish country, if you've ever seen people driving animals, they have these yoke around them. Well, Jesus would use this term 
in a rabbinical way as the teaching. And so the yoke was the law of Moses, and it was heavy, and it was hard to carry. So now we're getting insight. Now we're dipping into the second part of the process of interpretation. What does it mean? Now we're sort of starting to uncover some of those things. And as you do this process of making observations over the whole text, then you come back in the interpretation step two and you begin to answer those questions and you begin to research and you begin to think deeply and you begin to pray about it. Uh, and then in the third step of this, we, ap- we, we, we bring application to it. All right, so today, how would you apply this passage? All right, you would come to him, right? And what does that mean for you today? All right, good. Yeah, maybe your, your go-to is to call a friend on the phone and to pour out your problems on them. Yeah, good. So Jesus, is a good application is go, to, go directly to him. How else would you apply this in somebody else's life? Maybe it means you go for a drive and you cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, as uh, Peter said. Maybe you, you just um, turn the TV off this afternoon or maybe go to a private place. Maybe you take a walk around the block and coming to him for you might mean just pouring out your burdens, telling him all about your troubles and the difficulties that you're experiencing. The application is fairly straightforward, and it's not this way with every text. But this is what made the Puritans such such godly, um, spiritually rich people. If you've ever read any of the writings of the Puritans, their depth of Scripture and commitment to it speaks to the transformation that they experienced. And the reason was is that they had a, an incredible discipline to get into short chunks of Scripture in the morning and just chew on it all day long. They would just fill their mind with Scripture, and all day long they would take that Scripture and they would meditate on it. They would roll it around. They would think about it. They would pray through it. They would ask questions of it. They would make observations. They would go back and reread. Now, maybe he's talking about this, and maybe he's talking about that. This is something that is lost on us today, and many times many of our disciples are an inch deep and a mile wide rather than a mile deep and an inch wide. I don't know if that's right or not. But but in closing, you can do inductive Bible study. And you can do it today, and you can take a short chunk. I invite you just to flip to a passage and just take two or three verses and work through those steps of inductive Bible study. Parents, you can do it with your kids. Kids, you can do it with your siblings. Um, You can do this at any level. And the key to it is to answer the questions and observations uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit using the Word as your guide. The Word before, the Word after, the Word all around it. Using the Bible to answer the questions of the Bible is the most important part of this process. You're not going to uh, somebody else or to a website to answer the questions that you have. You want Scripture to answer Scripture. And so what's the so what here? Do you want to experience transformation? It happens by the renewal of your mind and the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And if you want to experience deep and lasting life change, you are not going to do it outside of the Word. The the Holy Spirit just uses His inspired words, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it's able to penetrate into your life and to change you deeply. And so the transformation, the goal, the purpose of this is that you would love Jesus more intimately and that you would reflect Him 
more deeply. So I encourage you to add this discipline to your life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. We thank you that we are able to experience deep and genuine, lasting life change when we approach the scriptures in this way. Not just in an inductive way, but when we approach the scriptures in a serious way, in a way that, um, in a way that allows you to transform our lives so that we can come to know you and that, uh, that we can be known by you. We pray, God, that you would inspire us, that you would give us the discipline and the space that we would focus on getting your word in us using those six disciplines. Thank you for our time together today, Jesus, and thank you for being the author, the word himself. In Jesus' name, amen.